Welcome to the Clinical Education Initiative podcast, Conversations with CEI, where we feature conversations with clinical experts, their experience and insights on current health issues in the areas of HIV, primary care and prevention, sexual health, hepatitis C, and drug user health. You've probably already heard about the Reprieve trial, which used pitavastatin, a statin, cholesterol-lowering drug, to lower the risk of cardiovascular events in HIV patients. If you haven't taken a close look at those results yet, then this podcast is for you. I'm Steve Fine, podcasting for CEI for the AIDS Institute of New York State. On July 23rd, results from the Reprieve trial were published in the New England Journal of Medicine. Simultaneously, or maybe on July 24th, or maybe that was the same day, but when you cross the international dateline, it becomes the next day. Well, however they do it in Australia, the results were also presented and discussed at the IAS International AIDS Society meeting in Brisbane, Australia. Overall, this trial claimed to show that there was a 35% reduction in major heart-related events, such as myocardial infarction or stroke, amongst a group of HIV patients that are relatively at lower risk than the usual patients we treat with statins. Needless to say, the result has created quite a lot of interest in the HIV community and even sparked some questions such as whether all HIV patients should be treated with a statin, regardless of their current estimated risk. An important factor driving this study is that HIV patients are known to have up to a twofold increase of risk of cardiovascular events in relation to HIV-negative patients, even if their other risk factors are taken into account. This effect has been noted in several other studies, and is not, it's not completely attributable to elevated LDL levels. Uh, it's thought to be in part driven by higher levels of inflammatory markers that are found in HIV patients as compared with those who are HIV-negative. Statin drugs in general not only lower LDL levels, but they also seem to lower the inflammatory markers. Increasing inflammation in general could be one of the mechanisms by which statins lower cardiovascular risk. First off, let's take a look at the study design. The Reprieve trial was a randomized, placebo-controlled trial aimed at HIV-positive patients who were at low to moderate risk of having a cardiovascular event when determined by traditional cardiovascular risk calculator. Those who agreed to enter the trial were randomized and either given patavastatin calcium, 4 milligrams once daily, versus placebo, and then they were followed up regularly. As most of you know, this trial was halted by the Data Safety Monitoring Board at the planned analysis of 5.1 years into the trial due to efficacy effect seen with a patavastatin. A lot of people ask, why patavastatin? That's not one of the statins that we usually use. Patavastatin was chosen as the statin because it has virtually no drug-drug interactions with HIV meds. Although it's not widely used in the United States, because of its cost, it apparently is pretty readily available worldwide, and the cost should be significantly reduced when it comes off of patent next year. Patavastatin is generally well tolerated, and its LDL cholesterol-lowering effects and the effects on various inflammatory markers seem to be similar to the other statins. Patients that were to be randomized in the trial were between the ages of 40 and 75 years old, and the median age was 50 and they were calculated to have a low to moderate risk of cardiovascular disease based on the American College of Cardiology cohort risk calculator. This population, to me, seems a little bit younger than the group we normally think of as being candidates for statin therapy. 
overall, the five-year risk for cardiovascular events in each patient needed to be less than 15% in order to participate. All study participants were given information on lifestyle modification, and the participants were allowed to stop the study drug and start a statin at the discretion of their primary care doc or study coordinators. In all, there were 7,769 patients, and they were all randomized at over 145 centers around the world. At least 12 different countries were included, and 31% of the participants were female. The primary endpoint was a major cardiovascular event, including myocardial infarction, stroke, transient ischemic attack, unstable angina, peripheral artery disease, or requiring some sort of revascularization procedure like a stent or coronary bypass surgery. In addition, any cardiovascular-related death or death from undetermined cause was also considered as the primary endpoint. Overall, these patients were really well-suppressed virologically. 87.5% were undetectable, and out of the 747 who had detectable HIV viral loads, the median viral load was only 67 copies. So what were the results? I'll give the raw data first and then some of the statistical analysis. So here we go. Overall, the rate of major cardiovascular events in the trial was 4.8 per 1,000 person years in the pitavastatin arm and 7.3 per 1,000 person years in the placebo arm. And that's where it's calculated as a 35% decrease in the pitavastatin arm. Looking at cardiovascular events or death from any cause, it was 9.2 versus 11.6 per 1,000 person years in patavastatin versus placebo, and that's a 21% decrease. Interestingly, statin trials in general tend to show around a 20% decrease in risk in the general population also. If you just focus on the LDL cholesterol values alone, there was a 30% decrease in the patavastatin arm and no significant change in the placebo arm. In numbers, the patavastatin arm showed an LDL decrease of 107 milligrams per deciliter to 74 milligrams per deciliter in the patavastatin arm, and in the placebo arm, LDL went from 106 to 105 over 12 months. Now I get it that reporting the results in the number of events per 1,000 person years is a bit hard to understand when you're trying to explain these numbers to patients and you're trying to get across what the actual risk reduction will be. Um, And just using an overall number like 35% also could certainly be misleading if patients apply that to their own risk. So let's break it down further. I'm going to give you the absolute number of events in each arm and then make an attempt to calculate the number needed to treat, which is how many patients need to actually be put on the patavastatin therapy in order to prevent one event over the five-year span. At the time the trial was stopped, there had been 225 cardiovascular events. For one of the primary endpoints, the first major cardiovascular event that occurred in a patient, there were 89 such events in the patavastatin arm versus 136 in the placebo arm, 26 MIs versus 47 MIs in placebo, and there were 29 strokes in the patavastatin arm versus 44 in the placebo. Deaths from cardiac cardiovascular causes were 12 in the patavastatin group and 16 in the placebo group. And when you included death from cardiovascular or undetermined cause, it was 30 in the patavastatin and 42 in the placebo group. All of those outcomes appear to be statistically significant. To get a better idea of the risk, look at the number needed to treat 
for five years in order to prevent one event. The authors of the New England Journal paper calculated that the number needed to treat to prevent one event in, the, in five years was 106, and the 95% confidence interval for that was 64 to 303 patients. They point out that this is comparable to other established treatments to prevent cardiovascular disease, such as treating hypertension, which had a range of 80 to 160 for the number needed to treat for five years. Moreover, the number needed to treat to prevent one event would decrease as the risk increases, and their results suggest that the number needed to treat could potentially decrease to 60 at the higher end of the risk spectrum of this otherwise low-risk group. So it appears that patavastatin was quite effective at decreasing cardiovascular events. Now let's take a look at the side effects or an adverse events of patavastatin. Overall, they were quite low in this group. There is a concern about increased risk of developing diabetes in statin trials. In patients without diabetes at the start of the reprieve trial, the development of diabetes was more frequent in the patavastatin group than in the placebo group, with 5.3% in patavastatin versus 4% in the placebo group. But even that small difference could be significant if so many patients now qualify for treatment based on these results. The authors pointed out that the incidence of diabetes in this trial was similar to that in the general population in the United States. But during the discussion at IAS, there was some concern, especially in Africa, where diabetes is one of the leading causes of death, that even a small increase in diabetes amongst these patients could counteract the beneficial effect of patavastatin on cardiovascular risk. Myalgia or muscle weakness or myopathy, which are certainly other known risks in statins, occurred in 91 patients in the patavastatin group and 53 in the placebo group, which was an incidence of 0.49 versus 0.28, or 2.3% versus 1.4% respectively. And rhabdomyolysis was rare. That occurred in three patients in the patavastatin group and four patients in the placebo group for an overall incidence rate of 0.02. Overall, it seems that treatment with patavastatin was quite safe and very well tolerated. Only 2.1% of patients in the patavastatin group versus 1.2% of the placebo patients withdrew due to adverse events. The authors and presenters seem pretty excited that the findings of this study could help mitigate the increased risk of cardiovascular disease in HIV patients. And I think a lot of people were hopeful that these results may prompt changes in some of our guidelines. It certainly seems that for the higher risk patients, a statin may have benefits beyond just that of lowering LDL. And it looks like there's clearly measurable benefits even for patients at the lower end of the risk spectrum, even in those that have normal LDL, whom we might normally not consider treating with statins. Still, there's many unanswered questions. Number one, at least for me, was what if you can't get patavastatin, which I've already had a lot of trouble uh, getting for some of our patients. And would the other statins work just the same? There's certainly no reason to think otherwise, as most of the common statins like atorvastatin and rosuvastatin also have both the LDL-lowering effect and the anti-inflammatory properties seem to be very similar to patavastatin. Also, I think there are still some things to consider in patients who are at the very lower end risk of the spectrum, as the number needed to treat certainly gets much higher in this group. On the other hand, cardiovascular events are pretty devastating when they happen. So anything we can do to lower that certainly has to be considered.
What about patients that weren't even included in the study, such as those under the age of 40? Would they also benefit? The answer is still up in the air. In addition, in the reprieve trial, there seemed to be limited or no benefit in patients who had hypertension or in current smokers. So you definitely have to consider where to place your focus in those patients. Hopefully, we'll all be continuing to discuss the reprieve clinical trial and its many results in the coming months. Maybe some of the answers to those questions I just raised will become more clear. No matter what, it'll never be boring. Thank you for tuning in. Join us next time for a new episode of Conversations with CEI. Visit us at ceitraining.org and follow us on CEI social media platforms.